and welcome to Hurdles, where I, your host, Ollie Burke, will be talking to elite athletes about their physical, mental and emotional hurdles and how they have had to overcome them to be successful. I shall question and delve into their mindset which allowed them to achieve such greatness. I shall review their careers and talk about moments of joy and adversity, allowing you to relate. Today, we have an episode that I've been looking forward to for weeks. On episode four of Hurdles, we are joined by Wales and Bristol Bears fly half, Callum Sheedy. Callum talks brilliantly about his constant determination to make it professional, despite many doubting him. He also discusses the sacrifices he's had to make at such a young age to make it to the highest level. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Callum, please can you tell us what you've achieved so far in your career? Um, so... Uh, in terms of what I've won or just in general? Just in general, just in general. So I uh, signed professionally when I was 18 at Bristol. I <clears throat> uh, went to school at Millfield and signed from there. Um, and then during my first couple of years, went on loan to Cinderford, Things Crusaders, Jersey Reds, and then um, ended up getting promoted twice with Bristol. Uh, got promoted, relegated, promoted, promoted. Uh, got a cap for Wales and I've had nine caps for Wales and had my hundredth cap for Bristol and won a European cup with Bristol. So yeah, a decent few years. Yeah. Not too bad at 25. Yes. Makes me sound old. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be silly. So I asked this to, to all of my guests um, just to set the tone. What is greatness for Callum Sheedy? Uh, for, for me, I think it's like a lot of people, I think overused the word someone being great, but um, I think it's having that consistency, you know, being world-class consistency, not just having one game where you're world-class and the next game you're average. I think consistency is the word for me, which, you know, separates the good from the great. I think you look over the years at, you know, just speaking from fly halves in terms of your Ronan O'Garys, your Johnny Wilkinsons, your Dan Carters, the consistency of their world-class um, games, are, you know, is very rare that they would just have an average game. They would always be world-class and, I think that's what separates them from, you know, your, your other international players. No, definitely. And that's all, all the practice is for, isn't it? Just to get that consistency out at game time. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, when, when you practice, I think it's easy to sort of, you know, I speak to some of the younger lads now and it's almost trying to tell them that you can practice as much as you want, but, you know, there needs to be meaningful practice. I think people can get carried away with, yeah, I'm practicing, I'm practicing, but are you really improving? Are you really focusing? Or are you just doing out there to take a box? So, you know, for me, I prefer to do half an hour of meaningful practice than an hour of sort of dilly-dallying round, not really knowing what I'm trying to get out of the session. You know, I'm very sort of, um, I try and be efficient and, and have goals with within the goal sort of thing. So, yeah, the, the practice is massive, but it's sort of meaningful practice for me, which is huge. No, definitely. So if we strip, strip it back, rugby at an early age, was it always a passion from day one? Uh, to be honest with you, football uh, was my, my favourite sport when I was growing up. Um, I only started playing rugby when I was about 11. Um, oh, wow. And I only started taking rugby seriously when I was about 15, 16. Like, I love football. I still football now, to be honest, is still probably my favourite sport. Like, I love it to bits. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, was all, I played like as, as many sports as I could in school, like football, rugby, baseball, Gaelic football, tennis, like anything. I could play, I would play just because I love sort of getting out and about and um, playing like team sports mainly. But yeah, football was always the main one. And then I realised I was probably better at rugby at around 15, 16. And that sort of <laughs> took up. 
yeah, um, I suppose when you get older, it's hard to play football and rugby because obviously the intensity and everything is quite high. So, yeah, that's when sort of rugby took over. Oh, fair enough. That leads perfectly to my next question. I was going to say, at what age or point did you realise you had what it takes, not even to be a, a fully-fledged international as you are now, but just a, prof- a professional is something that you loved? Uh, that's tough because when I was... 16, I obviously got the chance to go to Millfield on a rugby scholarship, which for me was a huge step in my life because I come from, you know, a very humble family in Cardiff where, you know, we had to work very hard for, you know, my parents worked very hard to put sort of meals on the table for me growing up. So to get to be able to go to a school like that, where obviously it's, it's renowned for, you know, it's sort of prestige class sort of thing. And to go to a rugby school like that, which I think is the best in the UK personally in terms of education and rugby was massive and it was probably then which I realised there's a chance that I could but I knew I had a lot of work-ons and a lot of improvement to do not only as a rugby player but as a person and mature and all that and that those two years there sort of I worked under a guy called John Brimacombe and John Mallett um, who were incredible for me and you know really matured me as a person which helped my rugby and probably then going into my upper sixth I thought there's a pretty good chance because you know I was playing well I was enjoying it and thankfully Bristol came in. Oh, brilliant. So then how was the transitioning from, because you captained the side, didn't you, at Mayfield? Yeah. Which is obviously a, a great honour in itself, as you say, great great rugby school in the UK, definitely at the top. So how was the transition from captaining Millfield, a very respected school, winning most games, to then when you took it to that next level of playing for Bristol, you went down in the depth chart, you're obviously not captaining the side. How did you find it having to work your way back up? Yeah, like, like I said, I speak to a, a lot of the younger lads now and, you know, it's funny to hear them say the same things. It's, you obviously go from, like I say, being captain of, you know, a pretty cool school to being right at the bottom. You you are the weakest link and, and that's fine. That's just the nature of the beast. And it is hard because your confidence is up there. Your ego is probably up there. You probably think, right, I'm the kitty, I'm the boy. And, and then you go into an environment where you're not the boy. You're probably the worst player there. And you're thinking, geez, <laughs> you've almost got to start from square one. But, you know, like I say, now it's it's almost like how much do people want it? That's why there can be twenty really good schoolboys and only one of them will make it because inevitably what breaks it down is the top two inches and who actually wants it more and who's willing to put in those hours and who's willing to sort of go that extra mile to become a professional road player. Because although like everyone sees the eighty minutes on the pitch and it looks great and don't get me wrong, it's the dream job. There's a lot, a lot of hours that go in behind the scenes and you know a lot of dirty work growing up, which you know, you reap the rewards for sort of now, but at the time, a real hard yards. And that's sort of what sort of whittles out the the guys who don't really want it. They think they want it, but then do you really want it? And I think, you know, my mindset was that I did want it. And that's sort of what got me here in the end. No, definitely. Everybody says this, that you don't see what goes on behind the scenes. And that really does, does separate people. Yeah. If you hadn't put in that hard graft and hadn't been so successful and you didn't become a rugby player, what do you think you'd be? Again, that's another good question because it's something which I don't really know. Like, uh, I, I enjoy teaching and, you know, helping others, especially the younger people. But maybe I've just learned that from being in a professional rugby environment from where people have helped me. And maybe that's sort of what I've gained the enjoyment of that from. So something like a, a PE teacher or something would be cool. But I definitely have to do something hands on because... I'd really struggle sitting in an office nine till five. I'd get a bit restless. I think I'd be having to do laps of the office or something. So um, I, d- I don't know what exactly what it would be, but it'd have to be something hands-on. It'd have to be something a bit active, I think. 
Not a footballer then. He didn't have the skill. Oh, I'd love to be a footballer, but I think I'm I, talking <laughs> of putting the out. I think there's not enough hours in the day that I'd need to practice to become a professional footballer. <laughs> I'd love to be, don't get me wrong. What position? I was always a centre midfielder, so um, probably more. I was probably more of a holding midfielder. Uh, didn't quite have the um, the creative ability with the ball at my feet um, around the box, but you know I used to work hard and I'd like to stick a challenge in every now and then. <laughs> you pull the strings with your hands that fly off instead, then. Yeah, better chance of that. Yeah. Nice. So then again, your younger rugby days, you played in the the playoffs of Bristol, had a massive impact. I think it was twenty two points in that game against Rotherham. Uh, yeah. You then went out on loan to to National One to to prove yourself. At the time, you were you were young and you were coming off such a high. Did you think going down to Nat One was a step down and or undeserved, or did you welcome the new challenge and set out to prove yourself? No, I, I never thought it was a step down at all because, like like you said in previously, you are the weakest link and you do have to prove yourself. And uh, like for me, it was just about any time I got to play senior rugby was a bonus, and any time I could prove myself that I could you know perform at senior rugby, no matter what level it was at then that's just only going to hold me in good stead for the future. And uh, Cinderford, especially for me, was was massive because I remember when I went there, we had seven games and we were in the relegation zone and it's a great club and we needed seven bonus point wins to stay up. And, like, honestly, the 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 crowds used to get, the excitement in the little village that it is, and we ended up doing it on the last day of the season. I remember, like, wow. very clearly. And, you know, for me, that seven weeks was even though I was a Bristol player, I was on at Cinderford and I felt fully, you know, in, bought into that Cinderford uh, sort of vision. And, you know, I knew how much it meant to everyone to stay up and for me to be a part of that and for me to start every game of those seven was, you know, massive growth. Um, as a 19-year-old kid sort of doing that was was huge for my development. That's an absolute miracle. Seven bonus point wins. Yeah, it was it was mad. We actually had a, we had a good team. We had like um, myself, Sam Underhill, Josh Adams, uh, Lloyd Evans played a bit. Um, yeah, Nicky Thomas. We had a very good team, actually. Who players have gone on and pushed on to, to play higher. Yeah, a few hidden gems in there. Yeah. So this maturity and understanding that you've shown from a young age, did you? how did you get this mentality? Is it self-taught or is it instilled through others? I think probably because uh, I'm not the most naturally gifted. Like, obviously, some players are fortunate that, you know, that all they got to do is turn up and they can turn it on. But whereas I probably had to work harder for to be uh, a professional rugby player, I guess. And, you know, physically, um, I'm not blessed with a great metabolism. I need to work hard at that. And in terms, in terms of skill-wise, I would always be obsessed with sort of being the last person on the training ground right from when I was like 18, 19, because I remember one of my coaches when I was just coming to the professional game said that I would never play a premiership game because I couldn't goal kick. And, you know, when they said that, I was like... Ooh. And I remember I went home that week and I thought, nah, this isn't for me. I don't think I'll never play premiership. I can't goal kick. And I thought, well, i got two options. I can either sort of accept that I'm not going to play or I can work harder. And yeah, I put in uh, a lot, a lot of hours, a lot of wet, rainy sessions uh, with Mark Tainton, who's now um, obviously high up with us. And uh, Matt Sherrod, who's actually the Worcester, he's just gone to Cardiff Blues for next year, um, attack coach. And those guys spent so many hours out with me and so many sessions were frustrating. I couldn't kick, I couldn't kick. But in the end, it clicks and it just become an obsession with me and a mindset that I wanted to be there. Wow, that's brilliant. You've certainly proved him wrong. <laughs> so you went out and you proved your worth and you then made it to the big stage back at Bristol. And initially you were sitting behind Ireland International Madigan, weren't you? Ian Madigan. 
Yeah. And you were just waiting out your time. So you once more showed this maturity and this selflessness and, and waited your turn. How important is it to be level-headed and selfless in a team sport, especially at the highest level? Yeah, it's huge. And, uh, you know, Pat often speaks about the sort of weaving me attitude. And, you know, you can either do everything yourself and you could get a few headlines and, you know, everything's brilliant for you. Or you could do the unselfish things, the things people don't see, which might not necessarily get you the headlines, but it'll benefit the team. And, you know, that's the type of team we are. And I think definitely in professional sports, if you want a successful side, you need, you know, a lot of those players, you need a lot more wees than me's. And yeah, listen, <clears throat> Mad, Ian Madigan was also a, a wee guy and he was, you know, obviously a, a big signing for us. <clears throat> and when he came, I just wanted to sort of absorb as much information and learn as much from him as I could. And still to this day, he'll ring me every week or text me every other day and still keeps in contact with me regularly. And he's definitely, you know, he was my mentor here and, someone I really look up to and someone I look up to still and he was brilliant to me and you know he was a massive part of my development as well. That's brilliant that really does complement the the Bristol way that Madigan although he's moved on now and he's still messaging you and he's chill, still trying to get the best out of you. Yeah definitely and you know I've obviously become close to him off the pitch as well and yeah like I said it's a testament to, the, to him as a bloke that you know he could have easily just never texted me again but you know even now he's like I said he's constantly asking me how things are going how's my kicking going and yeah, like you said, that's exactly what we, we sort of pride ourselves on at, at the Bears. No, credit to him. So once you were given your opportunity and you took the reins of the electric Bristol team, you didn't look back in 2018. You started to play more and you slotted 91% of your kicks in 2018 with your time on the field. Your form and playtime just excelled from then onwards. And then last year, the Bears went on to win the Challenge Cup and you personally were the top scorer in the competition. Was that always your goal as a team to win the Challenge Cup? And how did that feel once you achieved it? Yeah, um, we set out our goals at the start of the season and, you know, our goal was top six. We ended up getting top four, so we ticked that one off. Obviously, we would like to win the Premiership, but we, we ticked our sort of minimum standard off. And then um, our goal was to win the Challenge Cup. So, like you said, Challenge Cup's obviously funny because... You, it's sort of running alongside the Premiership. So you go in a block of Premiership and then you go into a block of Challenge Cup. Um, but to sort of each stage you go, you get out the knockout stage. So the box ticked onto the, onto the quarterfinals. You get through there, right, semifinals. And it just sort of feels a bit more real, a bit more real. You can feel it's getting to the big time. And, you know, I remember our semifinal against Bordeaux when we went to extra time. That was, you know, a crazy game. And, you know, we managed to overcome them and, you know, we're in a final against the Stars at the Toulon side. It was it was bonkers. And, you know, boys are pulling out in the week. I know Andy and Nathan Hughes pulled out injured in the week. Stephen Luatour had his baby, so he didn't travel with us. And Charles Pieta was injured. And you're thinking, <laughs> you look at their team, they've got Ednets, Abed, Seren, Parise. And you're thinking, geez, this is going to be a task. But, yeah, to get over the line and win and play the way we did was, you know, definitely up there with the best nights of my life. No, definitely. It was, it was up there with mine as well. So you then got the top point score in the competition. That must be such a reward for you in terms of the amount of hours you put in with the goal kicking, the wet and windy sessions. That must have been great for you. Yeah, like like I said, it's, it's obviously always nice to sort of have personal uh, rec recognition. But for me, it's, you know, I would I'd be happy to finish bottom of the charts and Mendes lifting that trophy. I I'm not I'm not mad on the personal milestones. Obviously, obviously, it's nice to sort of see it and. Like you said, it is sort of a reward for your hard work. But, you know, the biggest thing is we're, we're winning games. And if I can help by kicking a few goals, then I'm more than happy to do that. Fair play. Great mindset. 
So what a year 2020 was for you in general. You scored 144 points and had 16 try assists. You were then deservedly called up by Wayne Pivak and made a Wales international. Can you talk us through the moment you received the news and, and just how you felt? Yeah, it, like it still now feels like a whirlwind. I remember um, Wayne rang me up and said, because at the time I was obviously dual nationality, I was Irish, uh, English <laughs> and well qualified. So he rang me and just said, would you be interested? Um, and straight away I knew, like just from the conversation for 30 seconds, like my heart was racing and I was like, yeah, of course, it'd be an honour. And then when the squad got announced and I was in there, just sort of, yeah, FaceTime my parents and, yeah, got a bit emotional and they got a bit emotional and it all felt like a dream, didn't feel real. And it's it's so hard to put into words because it's the most incredible feeling you will ever, you know, have to sort of stand there with the national anthem playing of your country and being able to represent your country is so special. I remember talking to you before and I think you said that your phone died or your phone broke because you got so many messages. Yeah, well, like it's... I had family members I didn't even know what my family texted me. So, um, <laughs> yeah, about 400 WhatsApps so and my phone just burnt out. So I just chucked it on the side and just sort of <sighs> take a breath. <laughs> no, fair play. So you performed admirably for Wales as well in the Six Nations and the Autumn Internationals, scoring a try against Italy. Every boy dreams of playing for their country, but you managed to make it a reality through hard work. What sacrifices did you have to make in life to make it to the top stage? Um, well, like, I think that the, the biggest sacrifice is a sort of, for me, was moving away from home. Like, uh, I'm very close to my parents, my family in Cardiff, and my friends. I got, a, you know, a lot of friends back there who I didn't get to see much, and I didn't get to see much of my, my parents. I was lucky they come up a lot to see me, and, you know, that was probably the hardest thing, because I am, like I said, they, they asked, like, growing up, I was so close to them. I'm still so close to them now, but Moving away from them at 16 was probably the hardest. I struggled a lot first few months. Um, and then even like signing for Bristol. I know it's not too far from Cardiff, it's about 45 minutes, but still from going to seeing them, from seeing them every day to seeing them on a weekend, if I was lucky, was really tough. And, you know, everything that comes with that, you know, I was missing, you know, all the nights out with the boys and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, I guess it doesn't sound like much, but when you're 18, 19, 20, you know, you think that is, you know, going out with the boys, that's the biggest thing of the week. And, yeah. When you have to sacrifice and you're sat at home and you're having your, your salads and the boys are on the, the steam and you're thinking, oh, I wish I was with them. But then I suppose it gets to the age now where I'm really glad that I made all those sacrifices. And, you know, obviously I wish I could see my parents more, but hopefully now with COVID easing up and everything, they'll be able to come over the bridge more and stuff and, and everything will be all right and, and be all good. But I think those two, for me, the family was the biggest. And then sacrificing all the 18, 19, 20-year-olds sort of fun and all that was was another one. But, you know, it's 100% worth it to be a professional player. No, definitely. Did you ever, at the time where you were 18, 19, think, is this definitely what I want to do when you're, when you're seeing all your mates out? Did you question it at all? Uh, well, I mean, for me, for my, for my personal mentality is, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do 100%. And, you know, if I wasn't going to be a professional rugby player, then that would have been fine. But I wanted to give it the best crack and I wanted to give myself the best opportunity. And, you know, I'm very grateful for Pat Lamb because who knows where I would be if he didn't come in and give me that chance. Because when he came in, I was probably still third, fourth choice. And, you know, he he didn't have to give me a chance. Um, but, you know, he came in and I remember we sat down and we went through goals and targets and stuff. And 
just slowly but surely just kept sort of ticking away, ticking along, ticking along, ticking a box. And yeah, he he gave me the chance and he showed faith in me and, you know, I'll forever be in debt to him. So if you look back at your career as a whole, you've obviously achieved so much at still a youthful 25 years of age, but nobody's career is plain sailing at all. What hurdles have you had to overcome to get to where you are today in terms of anything, injury, playing time, being overlooked younger because of size? Yeah. Um, well, I guess uh, if you asked me that three years ago, I probably would have said, oh, I didn't get picked. I, the coach didn't like me. But, you know, the reality is I wasn't good enough when I was younger. And, you know, it's only till you get older that you realise that my skill level wasn't good enough to play. And, you know, I was rightly sent on loan and stuff. But I think the biggest hurdle for me was I tore my my hamstring, um, grade three, bad tear. So I just played the playoffs. Um, I got man of the match in the final. So I was on cloud nine. Like I said, my confidence was sky high. Came back in for pre-season. We went to France, went to Font-Romeu up in the hills and ended up tearing my hamstring. And that was probably, well, it was the darkest times, you know, for life, for myself in life and for myself in my career. Because, you know, when you get told drought for between eight to 10 months, it almost feels like there's no sort of end there. It's like, geez, where is the light? And yeah, it was, it was hard. The first few months were really, really hard. I was, did struggle, to be honest with you, and I uh, struggled to keep positive. But, you know, I'm lucky that I had good friends here. My family were unbelievable. Uh, my, my friends back home would come up a lot to see me. And, you know, we managed to get through that. And, you know, eight months later, I think I came back pretty early. I came back about seven and a half months early. Uh, seven and a half months, which was a few months early. And, yeah, sort of got back on the horse and went from there and back to square one, which which was tough because you go from being man of the match in the final at 19, thinking you're the kiddie to completely back to square one, uh, start everything again. Um, but again, like I said, I had to go in with a hundred percent mentality and give my best crack. And fortunately enough, it paid off. No, definitely. Mentality is, is so key. Everybody I speak to yeah. all stress mentality. So what mentality did you need to get through these moments of adversity? Because it's clear you have a huge mentality because you're having to chop down Nathan Hughes and Sammy Randrandra in training every day. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's, it's probably just the stubbornness and the, and the determination, the, the want. I think wanting something is massive, especially in this game, because I think a lot of people, especially younger pe people and people who sign academy contracts, they think they want it and... They, they, you know, it sounds nice being a professional player. Sounds nice playing for the Bears, but you know, do you really want it? Do you really want to put in the yards? Do you really want to sacrifice all the stuff I spoke about at the beginning? And yeah, for me, it was like, how much did I want it? Because the easy thing would have been for me to say, "All oh, right, I'll go and have a, you know, I'll leave Bristol. I'll go and sign for someone in the champ, and it'll be cushy, it'll be fine, it'll be nice, it'll be you know, okay wage and happy days." But you know, I was determined and I really did want it because um, I do love this city and, you know, I love the club and I really wanted to give it because, give it my best go because I'd seen, you know, how crazy the fans are. And I thought, you know, one day that could be me playing out on Ashton Gate. And, you know, I just wanted to work hard. And thankfully, I've played at Ashton Gate a few times now. And <laughs> yeah. Times. So you talk about that motivation, but what is your why? What gets you in training every day? What gets you kicking in those wet and windy sessions? I think obviously the, the first the first thing is you know my loved ones my family and you know, the people close to me I want to make them proud um, and then the second one is I'm I'm a winner and uh, I see how hard I see how hard people work I see where we've come from as a club and I want to win trophies at this club and I want to win trophies you know for the boys for the staff for everyone who's gone through all the rubbish and gone through the years in the championship and 
to see where we are now. I want to push on. But for me personally, yes, you know, I want to make my parents proud. I want to make my family proud and I want to make myself proud. But, um, you know, for my, my parents to come to the stadium and see me out there and when I finish the game, I go and see them and I see the look on their face of pride. That makes it all worthwhile for me. That's brilliant. So it must be so rewarding for you, as you said, having gone through the dark days with Bristol, up and down from the championship, winning the league and suffering playoff defeat. How rewarding is it now seeing where the club are, like aiming to win the premiership this year? I mean, you're top of the league. How yeah. rewarding is it? Oh, it's brilliant. And, you know, we obviously we've seen the, the ups and the downs. And it's funny, like when, you know, Charles and Semi and the boys come in, like they probably don't realise what we've seen, they just see it as what it is now. And, you know, our unbelievable training centre that we've got, we're top of the league, we've got the best DOR in the world and everything's, everything's happy days, everything's hunky-dory. But, you know, it's funny, we, I was speaking to Andy, Ren and Joe Joyce today just about it. And it's just where we've come from. I think we're, we're the three men who have been here from sort of those days of the championship days back six years ago. We're the three that have come through it. And yeah, there's them two are still probably my best mates at the club and, it's crazy where we were and where we are now. It's it's really hard to put into words. It's like a different club. It's like a different organisation. It's it's really incredible. Yeah. You you reference Andy Uren. He's got a great story, isn't he? Because we get shown, us lads, at, when we were in the Colts at Chew Valley, uh, a screenshot of Andy Uren and he's playing for Kainsham's second team. And he says something like, if I don't get picked for the first this year, I'm packing my boots in. And look at him now. He's absolutely just like you. If I don't play nine, I'm packing my boots in. That's what he says. <laughs> um, now, he's a good guy, Andy. And uh, yeah, like when he left Filton at 18, like Bristol didn't offer him a contract. So we had to go back and do another year in Filton just to sort of hopefully get a contract the next year. And luckily he did. And listen, he's he works so hard on his game. He's, he's you know, very similar to me in terms of he'll admit that he's not the most naturally gifted, but what he does do is work hard. And what he is, is he's a winner as well and he wants it and he wants it bad. And, you know, that's why I love playing with him. And that's why I love sharing the dressing room with him because, you know, where he's come from, the improvements he's made as a person, as a player, uh, it does make me proud of him. And like you said, he, he played for Kingston twos and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's a great story for him. You can definitely see that chemistry between you, obviously the nine ten partnership. You both had terrific seasons this year and to think of where you've come is, it's extraordinary. It's, all, it's similar to the, the Jamie Vardy story in a way, isn't it? Coming from, from League One and fighting his way through and now he's living the riches. Yeah, yeah like I, I, Andy, me and Andy have a relationship that, you know, so good that sometimes I lose my head with him on the pitch and he just knows that I'll be fine in a couple of minutes or I'll do something stupid and he'll shout to me. But, you know, <laughs> we're so close that that's just our relate and, you know, we're, we're comfortable enough to do that. And I think that's, you know, it's very unique, especially in professional sport, to have that relationship with someone that you can just be comfortable to go mad at them, but knowing in two minutes you're still going to be, you know, best mates is, is special. And yeah, I'm very fortunate to be able to play alongside him. No, you're like brothers. So with that why that you talk of, what do you hope to achieve in your career personally? Are you are you eyeing up 2025 Lawrence tour to Australia or do you take things day by day, match by match? Jeez, that's I had 20 ask, I had to ask. Um, yeah, no, for me, it's, it, I, am, I know it's probably going to be cliche, but I do try not to look too far ahead because, like you see, I spoke about the positive change my career's had. If you sort of take your eye off the ball, especially at Bristol where there's so much competition, if I take my eye off the ball and start thinking too far ahead, then, you know, my starting jersey will go and then everything's gone to pot. So, listen, my, 
my goal is always to be the number 10 for Bristol and you know I know there's people pushing me and I don't want to give that up and I want to be the number 10 for Bristol as long as I can and you know I obviously want to get as many Wales caps as I can and you know obviously all the World Cups and everything that go with that would be unbelievable but that's a you know way way down the line I know that none of that happens and no trophies get won unless you know we're playing well for Bristol and for me I want to win as many trophies for Bristol as I can and I want that 10 shirt for Bristol and that's all that's as far as I sort of think. It's a good mindset to have day by day and not get distracted. So what's the dream for Bristol this season and the future? Obviously, we're on a, a huge meteoric rise and what the fans would just love to know, what's, what's the dream? Like I said earlier about the targets we set at the beginning of the year, like our target this year was the top four, but top four doesn't mean we'll just be happy with the playoff semi-final. You know, top four can mean finishing top, winning the thing. So listen, we put ourselves in a great position with three games to go to be top of the league. It's unknown territory for us. It's unknown territory for us as Bristol Bears, for Bristol Rugby. A lot of us have never seen it. So, listen, for, for me to sit here and say that I don't want to win the Premiership, I'd be lying because I want to win it and I want to win it this year. But the you know the bigger bigger picture goal for us is the top four. We've, we've done that, so we've ticked our minimum goal. And obviously in the future, we want to be a team that's dominating Europe. And we were disappointed how we lost to Bordeaux. And, you know, next year we want to have a real crack at the Champions Cup. And finally, if you could give one tip to someone listening to this podcast that wants to achieve greatness like yourself, what would that tip be? Uh, probably the uh, n- nothing that's sort of worth it comes easy. I think um, if this was easy, then a lot of people would do it. And I'm not trying to, you know, sound, make it sound like it's hell because it's the dream job and I love every second of it. But listen, you've got to work hard if you want to achieve good things. And, you know, us as a group know that. And me personally, I know that. So it's it's one of those where the harder you work, the better the rewards. And that's not just rugby, I suppose that's life. So without being a preacher and trying to preach all stuff, it's, for me, it's all about hard work. And, and like I've said a lot uh, on this podcast is how much do you want it? And that's in life, how much do you want something? And if you want it that bad, you'll work hard until you get it. And that's the biggest thing for me. That's brilliant. That is the key. If you want it, you'll go get it. Yeah, because I remember seeing you in lockdown uh, on your own, peak of COVID, social restrictions. You've taken your car to the local rugby club and you're just throwing a ball <laughs> at a post. All yes, the mates, right. we were baffled. We were thinking, how's he not got some machine that pings balls that he can catch? <laughs> He's just at a post. At yeah, a post no. For hours. But that's what I mean. When when we win the Challenge Cup and. You know, it wasn't just me doing that. There was, you know, there was a lot of us doing that. It sort of makes all those, because they're, they're hard. It's not easy to go to True Valley Rugby Club and start pinging the balls at the post. Let me tell you this. I'd much prefer to be chilling in the garden somewhere. But <laughs> listen, those, those days and those hours are what sort of got us that trophy. So um, I wouldn't change it for the world. No, brilliant. You're an inspiration to many. Callum, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. It really has been a pleasure to gain insight as to what is required to be an elite athlete on the higher stage. I'd like to wish you the best for the rest of the season and hope the Bears can end with more silverware. Not mad. Thanks for having me. Wow. What an episode. It's crazy to see how much unnoticed effort goes into success. For all young people listening this week, as Callum said, make sure you find your why and you keep working day in, day out, and you'll get there. Sadly, that's all for this episode of Hurdles. I really do hope you've enjoyed listening. None of this is possible without you guys listening, so I really do appreciate it. 
Don't forget to follow our social media at Hurdles Podcast. See guest reveals, bite-sized podcasts, and much more. Once again, thanks for listening.